Hello and welcome to this Cove podcast. Today we have the pleasure in interviewing Warren Officer Class 2 James DeBono. James joined the Army in 2002, initially as a truckie within the Royal Australian Corps of Transport, and then in 2008 transferred to be a physical training instructor, where he has since served in multiple locations around Australia. In November 2019, James was selected to complete a secondment with the AFL. He served at Geelong Football Club and AFL House between November 2019 and August 2020. In August 2020, he then served at the Collingwood Football Club uh, until January 2022, where he filled the following positions, being the AFLW line specialist coach. He assisted with the AFLW list management. He was an AFL development coach, a VFL and a VFLW specialist coach, and also found the time to assist with the Suncorp Super Netball Leadership and Culture Team. James, welcome to the Cove and thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for having us, sir. We'll kick off with the question. Let's let's first start by asking why you joined the Army. My my old man was actually in the Navy for 20 years. So he he was the one that gave me the, the thoughts that I wanted to join the military. Uh, however, I didn't like boats. I uh, much preferred to land. So Army was always going to be my choice. I actually tried to join when I was in year 10 from school, but DFR at the time obviously turned around and said that you're better off going away and completing year 12 and, and then coming back. So, uh, yeah, I did all that. And in my year 12, I, I rang up, said, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then I got told, as many many others have, that there's no positions of what you're asking for at the time. So I then uh, went in and did some civilian work for a period of time and, and finally got in the door in 2002 as a 19-year-old. At 19, okay. So, yep, you, you had to wait around a while. And, and was that what you wanted, to be a truckie? No, I didn't want to be a truckie. I wanted to be uh, infantry at the time. However, they told me that there was no positions available even in 2002 oh, yeah. when they rang me back. And I was given the advice, just get in the organisation, then you can pick and choose what you truly want to do after that. So, and again, as, as many of your listeners have probably been told that over their time, as well as what newest members are probably also getting told at times. Yeah, right. And, and what was it like being a truckie? Did you enjoy that? I did. I did really enjoy it. I, I was posted to Fourfield for my first ever posting at a very unique time. So, yeah, we we got there and um, artillery did their things, transport sort of did their things, and I was of the mindset that we're just one team and just get in and help where you can, and, and that fitted the sort of the personalities inside Fourfield at the time and um, because I had that mentality, I was, I was well looked after inside that regiment. And, and to be honest, I, I think that posting in particular for six and a half years as a, as a truckie inside Fourfield really set me up for the career I've had. How regimented they were, the teamwork, the mateship that was was embedded inside that unit. I was only talking to another um, member from from that unit earlier this morning, and, and we were reminiscing about how when you get the right people involved in teams, how it can be such a great time. So, what what made you transfer in two thousand and eight to become a PDI? Was it the shorts? And uh, no, it wasn't the shorts. And back then, it was it was the singlets when the PDIs used to get around in the the white singlet with the piping red tube on the sidelines of, yep. of the singlet. But um, no, it was just the interest in sport that I had. I'd always been into, into being fit, but um, sport has played a massive part in my childhood. Um, it's also played a massive part in my journey inside this organisation in Army. And yeah, so they were those years when sport was still really driven from the highest levels that it was such an important thing to building teams and using the vehicle of sports, not just AFL, which is my chosen sport, but sport in general, just using that as a vehicle to, to help develop relationships in teams. That was the main driver to become a PDI. 
Great. All right, well, let's talk about the uh, the main reason we've got you today. I'll just talk a bit about the Army Secondment Program, which I will refer to from this point on as ASP. Bit of an introduction to this. The ASP sees selected officers and soldiers participate in the development experiences through non-defence organisations. For the individual, these experiences have facilitated the interchange of ideas as well as the development of new skills, practices and knowledge. It provides participants the opportunity to work in both the public and private sectors and enables them to contribute to and affect change within Army. The ASP presents the opportunity for high-performing officers and soldiers to develop skills, knowledge and experience in management, leadership and decision-making outside of Army or the joint environment. These secondments provide diversity on experience for our people, thereby enhancing Army's people capability and ultimately improve the quality of land power. James, can you tell us how you're fortunate enough to get your ASP position? Well, firstly, I, I didn't even know ASP even existed until uh, it would have been, I think, about 2017 when I was first approached by Major General Matt Hall at the time, who was the chairman of ADF Aussie Rules, about the question was, do you think there's benefit of putting a PDI inside of an AF club? My response isn't going to be what everyone probably thought it was going to be. It was actually no from my previous workings that I just took leave and, and worked alongside the Brisbane Lions for a period of time. From that, I observed that at times the high-performing piece of the organisation being the AFL actually took more out of the relationships that we were having with them than what the Army was getting back. So my advice to General Hall at the time was, no, I don't see any true benefits straight away unless the right conversations and agreements were had to make sure there was an actual two-way exchange of information. From there, we obviously go jump forward a year of 2018. I was asked the same question by the new chairman, Brigadier Dave Smith. The response was the same. And then 2019 in July, I was actually asked by the Chief of Army um, the same question where he then alluded to everything you just spoke about the ASP does and key aspects that Lieutenant General Rick Burr thought would be exchanged between the two organisations with the, the key part from my piece was to come back and either go into one of two entry points, either being RMCD or ADF PDS, the ADF PT school down at HMAS Cerberus for that exchange to truly happen. So I didn't know about it. It was just, I guess I was observed from others being a passionate football person slash PDI and how I was able to nest both my loves into one sort of mould. I guess I was observed to do some good things and influence behavioural changes in a group of men and women across Army in particular. And again, using football as a vehicle to help do that. Yeah, it must have worked because ultimately that's when the also the previous Chief of Army, Lieutenant General Rick Burr, mentioned that all along he had me in mind noting I held true AFL accreditation, so level one talent ID. I was an AFL, or I am an AFL level three high performance coach. I was the first ADF member to be invited by the AFL to do that course. So I had the, the again, the, the qualifications and experience from both levels of an SNC background for Army, as well as the coaching piece from the AFL that, yeah, again, I was very fortunate that my journey in Army had led me to a point where others saw benefit for the bigger organisation out of something I was doing. So you initially you initially said, no, it wouldn't have been a good idea. I bet you you think differently now and, and you got a lot out of it. Yeah, there's, 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 two, two, there's two parts to that. 
where initially, as I said, my, my entry point was meant to be two, two positions. However, I ended up, my entry point was obviously one health battalion up in Darwin, Robinson Barracks as the WOE PDI. Not initially where we thought we'd be able to get relationships flowing, noting that the disconnect between the true AFL, Victorian-based clubs and all the way up in the Northern Territory. But at the same time, there has been the AFL network reach out where we've been able to show members inside Robertson Barracks in particular that, hey, the Adelaide Crows AFLW team's coming up and then they reach out knowing I did some work with the other clubs and, and so have. And and next time we set up little leadership activities and, and my team in particular got the ability to talk to high performance coaches from the Crows. So what a great PD opportunity for, for them through relationships built through my network. So Yeah, that's that's great. So were you still considered to be in the army? Did you still get housing, medical? Did you have to maintain IRN compliancy? Did you have a support officer? What, what were the processes there? Yeah, I was a CERCAT 7 member, full army being looked after. My supervising officer was then at the time, Brigadier David Smith. As I said earlier, he was the ex-chairman of ADF Aussie Rules. He was my supervising officer as he was in Vic Barracks. Yes, I did have to uh, maintain IRN compliancy. I just did that through... DFSS, obviously the Defence School of SIGs down at Watsonia. Yeah, it was it was an amazing opportunity and it was only meant to be 12 months. So it was only meant to be 2020. However, a little thing called COVID provided a lot of negative for people, but it actually provided me a really excellent opportunity where I found myself two years in the secondment. So, so yeah, really lucky. The organisation has been extremely supportive and, and a reason why I've, I've come back and I, I'm not looking to jump ship either. Like, um, let's keep these relationships and conversations happening with with the clubs that we've um, we've built and, and a relationship with. But yeah, I don't plan on going anywhere in the, in any near future. Yeah, I guess some people probably would. Uh, they probably have the opportunity to jump ship. But uh, well done on that. Going back to your, your army requirements, uh, were you still reported on? And if so, how were you reported on? Yeah, I was still reported on. So um, effectively, my supervising officer became my senior assessing officer um, and then we appointed others around sort of the the ADF sports network that became my assessing officer uh, and then reports were given so just like we do monthly reports we were doing them inside the footy clubs and effectively the general manager of each program would just provide comments talking to our points within our PAR of how they thought I enacted some of those traits and then that was sent to the supervising officer that then did the report of observation from effectively a civilian employer. Nice, easy process. That's fantastic. Now, looking at the positions you held, AFLW line specialist coach, uh, AFLW list management, AFL development coach, VFL and VFLW specialist coach. Can you explain a bit more about those positions for us? So the first thing I'll say is I wasn't the list management. I just assisted in that space um, that was done separately by another person inside that program. But I was effectively a, a line coach within the AFLW program. I assisted with this management. And then the VFL, VFLW stuff, uh, I was effectively a bench coach. So game day sort of operations, passing messages to players from coaching boxes and, and stuff like that. And then the super netball was, yeah, they, they actually sought us out, noting 20 years at the time of experience in the Army about they felt like their their culture and leadership just need a little bit of a oversight, I guess, so just a fresh set of eyes looking at the way they did processes. So they're really unique 
things. And again, COVID made it difficult. So when I jumped from one program to another, I'd actually have to go out and get COVID tested in between programs. I'd sit outside a program for three hours at a time. And I didn't know if I had a special time frame of getting results back before I could then enter another program. So that was pretty unique. And um, yeah, and, and the nose and, and throat didn't like how many tickles I got to have from a COVID <laughs> testing perspective. But um, yeah, but yeah, just I. I don't know, I was effectively a football coach at times so, when SNC couldn't do things. I'd jump in and play that SNC role as well. So but, sorry, but you'll, like, you'll have to you'll have to excuse me, mate. I'm from New South Wales, rugby league all the way. What yeah. is a line specialist coach? Can you just explain a bit more for, for those yeah, people so who aren't AFL fans? Yeah, no. So effectively a line coach is that we'd have three lines on an AFL field where it'd be forwards, mids and backs. So I looked after the forward group. So effectively... Ah, Roger. I would have a group of players out of the whole list. So roughly around about 10 players I'd be, have to look after, cut vision up, show them obviously where they're going wrong in games or training, put individual improvement programs to them for their development to, to progress into either future lines or future roles within that line that they're playing. So again, from a, a rugby perspective, forwards and backs. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So I just looked after the, the forwards group, which is, on an AFL field, the, the ones who do most of the goal kicking and scoring. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So t- 10 players at a time. Yeah. You just sort of manage them throughout training. You help design what training looks like to, to fit the head coach's game style he wants to play. So their running patterns on the field, um, what do they look like, how to break a skill down all the way back to the earliest point. And you could use some of our knowledge of like crawl, walk, run aspects. So some drills had to go all the way back to crawl and some you could jump in at a walk and then go to run. And yep. then game style itself was just let's run style. Yeah, okay, so that's, no, that's what that, that line coach did. That's good. Now I know. No excuses. So <laughs> I guess the big question here for today is what did you get out of this experience and how do you think this will assist Army's capability? Well, what I personally got out of it was – a different way to look at man management, a different way to look, see what high performance truly looks like. It scratched a niche, like a personal itch for me, where I got to actually observe, because I had dreams of I'm going to be a development coach in an AFL club within five years of when I was last posted up here at Robson Barracks. And I was somewhat probably on that trajectory, but after looking at it wholly and solely, I sort of questioned myself, is this really the dream job? Because as, as you've listed earlier with all the different roles I held at my time at Collingwood in particular, they actually added up to around about 90 hours a week physically at the club. So wow. one, thing, one thing I never considered as a bit of an AFL uh, nuffy is that you actually don't get two consecutive days off in a football program. <laughs> because the way, the way it works is you'll work, you might get the Wednesday off, and then depending where the game fell on a Friday, Saturday or Sunday, that the day after that was your next day off for your weekend per se, but you're actually not really off. So like you mentioned earlier, I started at Geelong Footy Club. So we actually took housing in Geelong initially. So when I then made the move to Collingwood, all of a sudden I'm an hour and 15 away from work. So it was a commute to Collingwood. Then as I said, from 7am with the men's program to around about four o'clock in the afternoon, I'd cover across the men's football program as well as the netball program and then I jump from those two programs into the AFLW program which you run from sort of effectively 4.35 o'clock in the afternoon to 9.30, 10.30 at night and then an hour and 15 hour commute home. So very busy times 
and then the days I did have off truly at home, I somewhat wasn't off. I was actually mentally thinking, okay, what's what am I preparing vision-wise, training drill-wise for, for next week and, and then my next presentation to the playing group. But, yeah, as I said, the things I got out of it was different way to look at man management, different way to look at presenting information. Again, probably look and try and highlight the really positive aspects in in a job or an organisation rather than um, the negative things because in that environment you can get very fixated on the win-loss piece because it's performance-based and wins-loss ratioed. Yeah, so they're probably the, the big key things I took out of it. Plus, as I said, got a really good look at what does a development coach actually do and and the money that they're on versus, again, some people argue that we're not on great wages, but um, when you weigh up everything, I as I said earlier, I can't see myself going anywhere in the short term. I would need to build my coaching profile and, and somewhat jump past a development coach right. to be financially um, secure enough as, as I am now inside inside Army. Yeah, okay, right. And uh, what about the team itself? What, what do you think they got out of you being there? Well, I, know, I know the women's program, the AFLW program in particular, got a lot out of it. I, I stay connected very closely with um, the program manager there and the head coach um, and a few of the players ring here and there for, for advice on things. I don't know, they, they got, well, we, we saw in my time two women from Collingwood joined as Circat 5 members. So yep. uh, that's not a direct reflection of me. There was then actually another guy who had a bit of a relationship with the Collingwood Football Club in um, Warren Officer Class 1, Chris Clifton. So maybe he's actually someone for the next podcast, but he... He knew um, Steve Simons, the head coach of the AFLW program, quite well and, and did some work alongside them as a line coach the year prior to me arriving on a secondment. So, yeah, I think what they got was just, again, a different perspective of life and the way to look at things or a different, a different way to sell the same message through military language at times. Like I mentioned before, I shared the, the crawl, walk, run scenario yep. with Craig McCray, who is actually the head coach of the Collingwood Football Club right now. And in one of his coaching meetings, he actually asked his assistants around, are players actually ready to do this skill? And he broke it and used that exact same analogy of crawl, walk, run, and then actually winked at me across the uh, across the meeting room. So saying, I've just stole that from you because we just had that conversation in the hallway. So the, the shared learning experience is still happening with the clubs and um, we, we hope it continues because I'm actually got a posting order. I'm off to the school of ADF PDS. So th- that's that final piece of my comment giving back. And we'll look to, to try and align some form of relationship where potentially something along the lines of like our basic PDI course have high performance managers come in and, and present to the basic PDI course. So they actually hear from the, the guys at the, the tip of the spear to say um, of what's going on from an S&C perspective and then we can sort of balance that with, okay, that's great that that's what they're working with but this is the known sort of data for what we're dealing with inside the military. And then for something like the supervisor's course, it could be something where we actually take potential um, new sergeant PDIs out to a high-performance facility and, and talk through that facility management piece which at times probably isn't, isn't articulated well or passed on the knowledge of how to manage the relationships between SEG, base management, and then the facilities we truly need on some of our garrisons. Yeah, so that, that could be the next evolution of, of the secondment piece. And as I said, the final piece of me truly giving back for 
a really excellent opportunity that I was presented by, obviously, at the time, Lieutenant General Rick Burr. All right. So, obviously, you definitely recommend this to others. Such a great program. I see that you've also done a bit of extra education yourself. You're an AFL Level 3 high-performance coach. You have a Cert 3 and 4 in fitness, and you have an Australian Strength and Conditioning Level 1 qualification. Did you get those while you were on uh, this program, or did you have them prior? No, so... All, all those obviously were prior, and that's effectively what led to me being the one selected to go right. off and do this to comment in particular. And I've said it many times to others that if they were, if they were purely looking for strength and conditioning, there is other PDIs out there probably more in tune with what's going on strength and conditioning wise than, than me. The coupling piece for me was that I held the the AFL accreditations that became really attractive to an AFL club because as you can imagine in high performance, there's a thing called soft cap. So each club gets to spend so many millions of dollars on their support staff around the playing group. I didn't actually come under soft cap for either, either of the clubs. So therefore it became very attractive that, hang on a minute, we've got a guy here who's actually got, um, I think by that stage when I got to Collingwood, I was about 10, 12 years into a coaching journey I'd coach at state level. I'd seen different AFL programs and effectively I was four years holding an AFL level three high performance coaching accreditation. So having that four years experience with that qualification, yeah, it became very attractive to a club to to have someone come in and and you not actually have to pay them. Um, yeah. As I've been referred to before as as, as free beer. So um, <laughs> so, so the, the club's definitely, as I said, 90 hours a week, they got – they squeeze every last bit of juice um, out of me to the point that I actually don't do anything since I've got back to Darwin. I haven't done any football apart from coach the National Army side this year. But as of next year, I actually hold no defence coaching a title or anything. Uh, and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying just being a traditional um, woe two inside the organisation and doing my job as as a woe PDI. Um, That's great. So- and, and- I sort of go back to the the courses that you got, got yourself, the opportunities that those courses gave you and will give you into your future. Uh, what about family? We know how important family us are to us all. You mentioned working 90 hours a week as a minimum. You must have also been away from home a lot. How did the family handle, handle it and how supportive were they? Um, my wife, Grace, is an amazing woman, like like most most men would say that, for all the things that we have to put up with, there's always someone behind the scenes picking up the pieces. And Grace, my wife, was that person for me and, and has been for a long period of time. Uh, extremely supportive. Uh, at that stage, we had our, our first child, Pearl. we just moved from Canberra to obviously Geelong. Whilst on the secondment, we also had our second child, Jet. I actually, like that, that phase with Jet, I actually don't really remember at all because I was, I was hardly ever home it, it was Grace dealing with raising a newborn, um, plus a toddler waking up at, um, at 6 a.m. wanting to be a toddler after she's had a really poor night's sleep and I wasn't around to assist in any regards. But but we always looked at it together that what a great and cool experience this is that not many people across the organisation get. And in this space in particular, noting the sporting aspect uh, and my love for footy, maybe it could be a long time between someone else getting it. So... We sort of just knuckled down as, as a family unit and did what we had to do to get through. And, yeah, and since then, we, we've obviously moved back to Darwin for the sec- second time up here and 
we've actually added a third little human to the uh, to the oh, team bones. And, um, yeah, so so life's good, as I said, but but winding up some of the footy pieces right now is is the right time for me. It doesn't mean that I won't ever get involved with football or that again. It's just concentrate on on home life. Like three young kids, um, age between four and three months. So um, yeah, Grace needs that support now, and and footy's taken the back step for me for a little bit. But, mate, uh, it sounds like such a wonderful experience, and congratulations. Thank you so much for spending time with The Cove today. To the listeners, thanks again for joining us on this Cove podcast. More information on the Army Secondment Program can be found at DCA Directive 08 of 21, Army Secondment Program, and or DEFCRAM 097-2001, Defence Industry Secondment Program. Make sure you keep an eye out for more podcasts in the future and don't forget to download the Cove app. It's PME in your pocket anywhere, anytime.